Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. It's uh, such a joy to be here. Isn't it awesome Nathan's back? Uh, you know, you can't, now I can't play games in the sermon. I'm like, you know, Nathan's right there. I can see him looking at me. Uh, but it's good. It's good to be back. It's been such a blessing to be with you guys uh, this summer. Uh, just three times. What a blessing. What, a, what, a, what an honor it is as well. Uh, but one thing that happens when you go to the same church three times in a summer, you start to notice where people sit and uh, you have enough interactions with them because, you know, we're creatures of habit. So you go to the same seat like that is not actually your seat, but it is your seat in church. No one dare sits there this service at this time. But now that means if we interacted before, I know where you sit. So in case you're wondering if like it feels like I'm looking at you when I'm stressing a point, I am looking at you. I know this is directed right at you. So wherever you're sitting, uh, that's what's going on this morning. And I- I'm so excited. How many of you have been blessed uh, just by this series? It's just been such a blessing. Amen. I know I've been blessed. Uh, by looking at God's Word and seeing the fruit of the Spirit being uh, worked in us. And uh, what's been stressed time and time again is we cannot do it on our own. We cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot self-manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? How many of you have tried? How many of you have tried and failed dismally? I know that I have. I know some of you, you know you can't do it because even on your way to church this morning, and I'm glad this is family service so your kids are here so you can't lie, um, on the way to church, you were in the car going, come on, Chad, put your shoes back on and, and Skylar, put, you know, I'm trying to think of all the Clinton, New Jersey-like suburban names, Chad, Skylar, and you're, you're like in the back. And you're like, put your shoes on. You know, how you forget your shoes? And it's like the fruit of the Spirit had not been evident. Like even in the parking lot, you're going to get cut off by a car with a Jesus fish. It's like (laughs) the fruit of the Spirit was still works in progress, church. And so this morning we're diving into, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, gentleness and self-control. The easy ones, right? Gentleness and self-control. And we're going to be looking at uh, these particular Uh, these particular two, but in reality, we know that God is working out all of this in our hearts by His Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not of our own doing, but only through the Spirit of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read here, we're going to read verse 22 and 23. It says, but the the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our, in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And I, I want to say that as we read this, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation here. It seems a little different from yours. But the, the essence of this is that this is a work that is produced by the Holy Spirit. And and we'll say this time and time again, if it feels like it's being repeated, it's because 
God really wants us to get this. I, I love that Jeremy, as I was walking out a couple of weeks ago, he said, hey, you know, I love that the same things are being repeated over and over again. It's good. Repetition is good because then we can truly get what God is saying here, what God is trying to build and work in us as his children. And so we find that even in this passage of Scripture, the context of Galatians chapter 5, and this, this might be worth repeating so that we understand this foundation once again in case we've forgotten or we missed this, is because these, these gifts aren't just given to the church. Paul's not just writing this letter to the churches in Galatia for fun. He's not just doing it so that they can be good people, that there's a reason why he's saying these things, that the fruit of the Spirit worked in us through the Holy Spirit is for our flourishing as uh, first and foremost as individuals as we partake of that as we come to the to the Lord knowing that he is gentle himself he is kind he is loving he has joy he has patience he has peace when we have all these things we are partakers of this fruit but as we produce this fruit it is for the flourishing of the church that it is the church, the people who are around us, that will benefit. It is for the flourishing of the community that God has put us in. So there's a purpose to Paul saying these things, that the works of the flesh aren't the things that we're trying to produce. We're not trying to produce bad fruit, but the good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which we can't manufacture ourselves, is for the flourishing of the church, the flourishing of our lives in our relationship with God. And the reason why he's writing this letter to these churches in Galatia is because they have received the gospel. By faith, they received the gospel. Paul planted these churches. And as he planted these churches, some false teachers crept in. And the false teachers, what they did was they, they were teaching a false gospel, which was making people not rely on their faith in Jesus Christ, saying, I've received this by grace and by grace alone, but rather reverting back to religious things that, that will earn them almost like check marks so that they can say, I did this thing. I, got, I, I, I did this religious ritual, therefore I'm right with God. And Paul is saying, what has bewitched you? Why have you gone away from this initial teaching that you know that this is by faith and not by the law. You're not saved by your works, but you're saved by, in, in Christ and in Christ alone. That's a message that we all, we all try to understand. It is actually the greatest temptation for us as believers, to be honest, is that we can creep into this idea that you are able to do something that will earn more love between in your relationship with God, that God will love you more if you pray more, if you read the Bible more, if you do this certain act, that God has more room for you. But the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, that God's love was shown to us before we even loved God. Amen. That there's nothing that we do that, says, that makes God say, hey, listen, now I'm going to love you more. And, and this is important for us to understand because the temptation, as we grow in our faith, right? Because initially, when we become Christians, the, the wounds, the, 
the scars, the, the stench of sin is still on us. Like we still have evidence sin around us. So we, 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 we don't think too highly of ourselves. We understand grace in that moment. So we know that we're walking in the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Like, right? We're like Lazarus when he jumps out of that tomb and he's still stinky. We still have like the grave clothes a little bit and they're still being unwrapped little by little. But as we become cleaner, the temptation is I do stuff to save myself. As we become a little bit more confident in our faith, we can start to rely on self and not the Spirit of God anymore. And this is the so what in this passage of Scripture. One of my seminary professors, he says, Rob, every time you preach a message, you must imagine that there's someone out in the back just shouting after every point you make, so what? This is the so what. If you've gone back, to relying on your own good works for salvation. This is a message for you. This is why we need to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Spirit, not by ourselves. If you've gone back to a place where you feel like you're earning spiritual merit badges based on your goodness, this is the message. And also, if you've gone to a place where you've gone, hey, listen, I've tried to work this out myself, Rob. Christianity isn't working for me. The harder I try and run, the more I seem to fail. Then this message is for you as well. This is why this letter is written, to encourage us to rely on Christ and Christ alone and to not walk back to the religious things and religious duties that we think earn us goodness with God. This is the message. This is the so what. And we know that, church, if you've never heard this before, you can hear it again. And I know you've heard this time and time again. It is only through Christ and in Christ alone that we have right standing with God. That is the message of the gospel. By grace and by grace alone. That our access to God is not through our own goodness. You know, I have a, I have a friend, um, and, and um, you know, I don't know, so I always feel like everyone has one famous friend. I have one famous friend, and the downside for me is that that famous friend is not famous in America. Like, it's like, it's the one place he's not famous, and it's like, ah, oh, this is so bad. So when he comes over here, like, no one knows him. And the rest of the world, they know him. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a rugby player, he's a rugby champion. He won the World Cup. He's, like, well-known everywhere else in the world. But when he comes to the U.S., no one cares. But except for, except for people who know rugby, and there happen to be a few in the United States. And there was a famous, a, a famous comedian who was having a show. He invited him to the show. He called me up. He said, Rob, let's go to the show. And I'm like, of course, I'm down to go to the show. And we went to the show. And we had, I, I mean, the best seats that I've ever had. I didn't even think Wells Fargo had seats that go that close to the stage. I was sitting there, and I was like, this is amazing. And, the, and, and at the end of the show, um, the... The, 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 the tour manager comes with a clipboard and he says, hey guys, um, you've been invited to go to the back to meet, uh, to meet the comedian. And I'm like, I don't know what was going on in my head. I kind of thought that they were talking to me. Like I thought this was my moment. So I walk backstage and I'm like, this is going to be fun. I'm going to be best friends with this famous person who's actually famous in America now. So I'll, this, this is more, this is just better for me. I'm going to be famous back home because I have a famous friend in America. I was just like thinking of all these scenarios. 
not knowing that this was going to be my first taste of what it truly is to be in an entourage. We walked in, the famous person could not care less that I was in the room. In fact, they were like, can we get a photo? And I thought they were talking to me, and I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, no, 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 Rob, can you take the photo of us? <laughs> I was like humbled, I was reminded that I've done nothing to earn that kind of access and that kind of treatment. It was only happening because of my relationship with my friend. The only thing, the only trophy I have is the March Madness staff trophy at Covenant Church where I happened to guess the bracket because I copy-pasted Adrian Wojnarowski's bracket and won that year. It's the only trophy I have. I've done nothing to earn it. And in our faith, church, in our faith, when we get to heaven, God's not going to go, hey, listen, you know, the whole scenario, which is unbiblical, but the scenario is like, wow, why should I let you in? Like, we're not going to say it's because I was such a good guy. We're not going to say, oh, it's because, you know, at year-end giving, I gave $1,000, Lord. Like, do you remember? I helped them get over the, the hump. Like, that was me. We're not going to say, Lord, you know, because every time they turn the little thing, the little tablet, and it says 10%, 25%, or 30% tip, I always hit 30, Lord. That's why you should let me in. God's going to go, no, it is by grace. It is only through Christ. That's what we say. It is only through Christ and his finished work on the cross that we get to partake, that we get in. And it's important to understand these things, church, because if we understand this, then we know that first and foremost, the pressure is not on you to manufacture any of this fruit, but rather to open our arms and receive what God wants to so freely give to us. God wants to work this out in us. God, wants, God says, I want to give you this. And so we see this morning that the first thing that we encounter here is gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And we find that the idea that we first need to dispel, church, is that gentleness is some kind of weakness. That being gentle means that we're weak. In fact, we see that the most powerful being to ever walk the earth, God in the flesh, describes himself most powerful. How many of us would say that Jesus is the most powerful person to ever walk the earth? We can say that Jesus functioned in a power and an authority that had never been seen before. That Jesus has power that can be, that is unmatched. And yet Jesus describes himself as gentle. Jesus describes himself as gentle. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, I am the definition of power and authority. I am that definition, and yet I describe myself as gentle and lowly. And church, you know what, especially for guys, and I'm going to say this because I know it exists in our culture, is that we're taught that if you're gentle at all, then you're not, you're not, you're not really a man. If, if you show gentleness, if you're not rough, if you're not brash, if you're not like, I'm a tough guy and I'll never be gentle, like that's, that's kind of something that we've been shown, and I don't know where exactly it comes from, but it comes from somewhere. I know that I went to an all-boys high school. 
Like I know that, I, I know all about gentleness will not be tolerated. That is not what you are meant to be. And yet, we're not being called to be fashioned into the image of other men. We're being called to be fashioned in the image of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus describes himself as gentle, and we say it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, guess what's going to be outworked in our hearts? And I know we've seen evidence of the fruit of the Spirit and some really rough, tough guys that we knew before, and then they're saved, and all of a sudden, they're no longer that mean, rough person that we knew before, but the Holy Spirit has done a work, and we're like, you know, it's shocking. That person used to be so rough around the edges and harsh, and the Holy Spirit has softened their hearts. We've seen that. Gentleness is something, church, that we ought to pray for. And I know that not all of us have prayed the prayer of, Lord, may you give me the fruit of the Spirit that is gentleness. Father, may you give me gentleness in my heart, gentleness toward others. You know what, church, most importantly, for most of us in this room, we haven't even experienced the Father as gentle. We haven't experienced God the Father is gentle, yet Jesus describes himself as gentle. We haven't experienced the God who in Exodus 34, 5 to 6 says, listen, he says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood as he, as he stands before Moses, stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Church, this passage of scripture is the most quoted passage of scripture in the Bible by the Bible. Like this definition of who God is. God the Father is saying, that is my very name, that we can't equate the things of compassion, of mercy and graciousness and patience and all the fruit that we've been studying, that this is the heart of God. This is who God says he is. So church, as his children, made in his image, as Christians, those who say we, that word Christians, little Christ, literally, We're saying that is who we're supposed to look like. Gentleness is a characteristic and a fruit that is shown in the heart of the Father. Have you experienced the gentleness of God this morning? Have you experienced that heart? Because experiencing it and partaking of that fruit will transform your heart, church. It will change your heart. But then it's not only that church, but... We ought to have gentleness in aspects of our lives. We ought to have gentleness in our words. The Bible will tell us over and over again. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Church, how many of us, as we pray about our interactions in this coming week, as we pray about our interactions around the table with our families, with our co-workers, how many of us ought to say, Lord, may you give me this fruit called gentleness so that I may speak with a gentle answer when I'm being confronted, where instead of being defensive, instead of stirring up wrath and church, we don't have to go far. We know that, we know that we've done this before and we've had to repent where we had the option of a gentle answer that will turn away wrath or a harsh word that will stir up anger. Anyone married in this room? Amen. You always have option A and option B. And you're like, Jesus, I love you. 
I know you, but I'm not losing this fight. B. <laughs> Church, we need to work this out in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us so that we may give a gentle answer for some of us, church, some of our relationships, some of the friendships, some of our children are estranged from parents because there was an answer that did not turn away wrath, but it stirred up anger. Church, our words, our words to one another ought to be gentle. Also says a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 15 verse 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The same tongue can be a tree of life, but perverseness in it can break the spirit. I've been praying right now. I've been praying for my kids. And even before the service, I, I got a reminder. And this reminder, I've been getting it time and time again. I have a girl, a daughter who's going into fourth grade. And I'm being told, enjoy the fourth grade. Because in the fifth grade, the girls get nasty. And I've just been thinking about this in my heart. Jesus, protect my child. Because some of us, church, if we're being honest, we're still dealing with decades of hurt because of words that were spoken over us on the playground in fifth grade or in class or at a party or maybe even words of a teacher that was spoken to you. You will never amount to anything. you an answer that breaks the spirit. Church, let us be people who speak words that bring life, that give forth life in community. This is for the flourishing of our lives, but the flourishing of our community, church. And 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says even our gentleness needs to be, even in our testimony, church, in our testimony, we ought to have gentleness. And I've been thinking about how, as a, as a new believer, I love this. When I first became a Christian, I was like a guy who was going around with a hammer, just bashing everyone who didn't believe what I believed, right? I was just going. There was no gentleness. There was no respect. I would just argue with people that Jesus, how can you believe? And mimic and mock people. How can you believe nothing came from nothing to nothing to nothing? Believe in Jesus. And people could not see Jesus in that. How many of you know that through harsh words, and we have, if we're not being what 1 Peter 3.15 says, where it says that, it says this, but do this in a gentle, it says do this, sharing our testimony. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep, it, keep your conscience clear. I, I wonder, church, that these words that say when someone asks about our hope, we're not meant to go in there with a hammer, but to do this in a gentle and respectful way. Even in our evangelizing, even in our outreach, church, we ought to do it with gentleness and respect. And the Bible is calling us to do that. And then Titus 3 verse 2, it says this, it says, speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Church, the Bible says all people here. The Bible's not saying be gentle to people you like. The Bible's not saying be gentle to those who believe what you believe. The Bible's not saying be gentle to those who root for the giants. Church, it's saying 
Be gentle to all people. You did a series a, a couple of years ago, maybe this, now it's probably 2021. You did a series called Margo Day. The, the essence of the word of God, the, the words we're going to sing. Uh, we see that God's image is in those image bearers who are all around us. Whether or not they believe what we believe, we ought to approach people with this love, with this gentleness, because we have been shown that gentleness, that love. So we ought to go to people with this heart. And then we find that gentleness restores church. Galatians 6 verse 1, right after this, we find it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Says that even those church who have sinned, that gentleness is the way that we restore people. Church, we live in a time where there is no restoration. Amen. We, we talk about cancel culture all the time. No one gets restored. Everyone just gets thrown away. Yes, the Bible says if someone has sinned, they've messed up. They're not, not guilty. They're guilty that we should restore them in gentleness. Church, the church is a countercultural community of believers. It's a countercultural thing. When culture is doing one thing, the word of God is calling us to be another. It's saying, let us restore with gentleness. Church, I know that can be unpopular in this time, but we're being called to be that, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we find church that part of that gentleness is us being able to tame our tongues, church. I don't know if it's a spirit that hovers over certain things, but there's certain places, church, where you do not find kindness oftentimes. You find just harsh words that stir up anger. There's nowhere else, church. I don't know. But the comment section on Facebook doesn't feel like the most gentle place in the world. I shared a little bit a few weeks ago. It doesn't matter what you post. There's always going to be something in there that's stirring up wrath. But church, we're being called to be followers of Jesus Christ. To accept the fact that God is doing a work in us and it looks nothing like the works of the flesh. And then we find here self-control. The second thing, self-control. We find that we live in a season. We live in a time where everything is at our fingertips, church. So not only is it difficult for us to find this and to, to produce this fruit called, called, self, uh, called gentleness and to see it manifested in the world that we're in, but self-control is so difficult. Amen? It's so hard because there's so many things that are being thrown at us. The beginning of the series, we find that it was clearly stated that the works of the flesh are at war with the fruit of the Spirit. They're at war. It's a tug of war. It's a battle. And the works of the flesh, what, what they say is indulge, indulge, indulge. Consume, consume, consume. Amen, church. The world is not giving you a message of saying, hey, guys, how about we do everything in moderation? There's no way. 
There's no ad that's going to come up today that's going to say, you know what you need to be content with? Two cameras on your phone. You are useless if you do not have three cameras on your phone. And next year, we're going to put a fourth one, and that third one is going to be completely useless. Indulge, indulge, indulge. Consume, consume, consume. The world is not asking, is not presenting self-control, church. But what it's saying is indulge, and yet the message of the Bible, the message of Christ is deny yourself. Deny yourself. The world is saying indulge. Jesus is saying deny. And so we find that self-control is something that is not easy to grasp. In this time, in the time that we're in, we find that we need to pursue the things of God, and we need to say no to some things. I think about the generation coming. And uh, sometimes I get to hang out with uh, young people. In fact, there's an example, a prime example in my life. <laughs> no pun intended. Where I had lunch with a high schooler. And um, he, was, uh, he was an intern this summer. He said, Rob, let's hang out. And um, I, I said, okay, we'll, let's grab lunch. Let's grab some pizza. And he brought these drinks to the pizza, uh, to the pizza hangout we were having at a pizza place. And he brought his own drinks to a pizza place. I was like, this is wild. That drink must be, must be amazing for you to bring it into the pizza place. And he brought it out. And it was this drink. And it was called Prime. And he said, Rob, you need to try this. This is the best thing ever. And I was like, oh, for real? And I was like, I, I need to try it. Where do I get it? He was like, you get it from Walgreens. It's like sold in all these obscure places. I was like, yeah, sure. And I went and I bought some Prime and I tasted this drink and it had one gram of sugar in it, but it was the sugariest thing I'd ever had. I was like, hallelujah, Jesus. This is amazing. I love Prime. And I drank Prime. I drank Prime, but Prime is a middle school drink. Really? Like, so I was like kind of embarrassed that I would always go, it would be me fighting like a sixth grader for like the last prime at Wawa. And I'd have prime and I'd, everywhere I'd drink it. People would be like, my kid loves that drink. I started carrying prime in a brown paper bag. I'm kidding. But I, I felt like I needed to. I felt, like, I felt like I needed to hide it. But I loved this drink so much, church, that all I could do was consume, 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 indulge, indulge, indulge. I started just buying up all the prime until I overindulged church. I never want to see another bottle of Prime in my life again. And I can tell, church, that that's the, the hook of the enemy is that you're going to get so much of it that it's going to consume your life and you're going to become a hoarder. You're going you're to have no room in your life for generosity because all you're doing is chasing and chasing after satisfaction in the things of the world. And they will never satisfy, church. That is the trap. And so self-control, whatever it is that we think is going to bring more joy. And I, I joke around all the time about this. But hey, it's not going to be the marble countertop. I mean, it's going to be cool, easy to wipe. But it's not going to be that. It's not because your house has a, has a pot filler. I had someone after the second service saying, Rob, no matter how many times you say it, I'm still going to get that pot filler. Yeah, I want the pot filler too, but that's not going to satisfy your life. It's not a better car. It's not a better job. It is, your sufficiency and your satisfaction can only be found in Jesus Christ. I am not saying that just because I'm preaching, but it's because everything else has failed. So church... We ought to control ourselves and find that 
as we pursue the Lord, as we deny ourselves, as we deny the flesh, as we crucify the flesh, we find that we find our, our satisfaction in Jesus. Church, this morning, and I want to tell you this as a pastor, it's sad how many Christians I bump into who do not find their ultimate satisfaction in Jesus Christ. They find their ultimate satisfaction in Jesus plus something else. Like Jesus is a part of the package. Like Jesus and this and this and this, then I'll be satisfied. But church, is Jesus all satisfying to you this morning? Is your contentment found in Jesus? If you search your heart this morning, church, will you find that Jesus is the one thing that you chase after, that you say, Jesus, everything else can go away. Everything else can be taken away from me, Jesus. But as long as I have you, I will be satisfied. I will be content. Church, self-control, being able to lay down our lives, being able to acknowledge that there are things in this world, there are things that we see around us that are not, that are just masking our brokenness. They're just masking it. They're just a little patch. Only Jesus is the one who can truly heal our hearts. Jesus is enough, church. Jesus is enough. I love that the verse after 23 and 24, it says this. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of, the, of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Church, have you nailed your passions and desires to the cross? Have you crucified those passions and desires? Have you given them to Christ? I know I'm preaching to myself, church. Because my heart too needs to hear this message. My heart needs to be reminded, Rob, you need to put those things that you're chasing after that are not Jesus. You need to crucify those things and nail them onto that cross that Jesus paid for each and every sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit. Is your satisfaction in Him. And church, we don't just do this passively. I want to say this. You cannot coast, you cannot sit on our lazy boy and, and recline and think that our, our hearts are going to change and think that transformation is going to occur. That, tr- that we find that Paul would even say this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27. Paul would say this, and, and, and I'm going to read here. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul in this passage is saying that his self-control was a benefit not only to him, but to those who are around him so that he might win people. Paul is saying that he practices this self-control and this discipline. He's not passive. He's active in this. He's saying, I am I am." crying out to the Lord. I am practicing self-discipline. Church, self-control is something that we go, Lord, give me this gift. Lord, I pray for this gift of self-control so that I may walk in your ways and not fall and not stumble and not fail. Lord, I pray that I may be self-controlled so that I may discipline myself because I do not want to fall into a pattern of sin anymore. But I want to, I want to walk with you, Jesus. I want to glorify you. I want to magnify you. We're not passive. He uses the example of an athlete. Church, I can tell you that we can find self-discipline in so many things. And these things aren't bad things. Some of us are so disciplined in going to the gym. I will wake up every day, 5 a.m. without fail. And yes, we'll have these chiseled bodies that look better than mine for real, but you will have these, but one day that body will fail you. It will perish at some points. That church, we could, we could take no days off and hustle hard, or whatever popular hashtag of the day, and work 16 hours a day, whatever it is, for something that will perish. But Paul says the thing that he strives for is imperishable. Church, let us chase after the things of God with the same ferocity that we chase after the things of the world, that we chase after things that sometimes are seemingly good things, but they will perish at some point. And let us chase after the thing that will not be taken away from us, church. This morning, I want to encourage us, church. Maybe you've, maybe you've been striving. Maybe you've been trying to outwork this thing and work it out so much that, that you feel like you've wasted all your spiritual energy. This Jesus thing has been failing you because you're like, Rob, I, I've tried to be gentle. I've tried to have self-control, but that sin keeps on, it keeps, it keeps on winning. Maybe this morning we surrender ourselves. We come in a humble posture before the Lord. Maybe we ask for gifts that we've never asked God for before. God, may you give me a heart that is gentle. May you give me words that are gentle. Lord, may you give me the gift of self-control. You know, in the first service, I, I forgot my, I, I didn't drink the drink, but I had a, I had a can here yeah, of zero-calorie soda. And I just want to say that, you know, they're popular, right? Those drinks are popular. I, I love them because they're sweet and they have no sugar. They have zero, zero calories. Like you can drink as much as you want and never gain weight. That's amazing. Who came up with that? It's like, drink, 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 drink. It's like, consume something and there's no transformation. And I can say, church, this morning, there is no zero-calorie Jesus. The more you spend time with Jesus, you are going to be transformed. And church, I can tell you that I know that there are calories, especially here in America. You might hear about it. But I've been here for nine years, and I've seen the transformation. <laughs> you can't consume and not change. And church, you can't consume the things of the Spirit, and not be transformed. You cannot spend time with Jesus and not be transformed. Uh, this morning, maybe you're asking, Rob, 
What's the first step that I take this, this morning? What's the step that I should take? My encouragement to you this morning is spend time with the Lord. My encouragement to you this morning is that church, if we spend time with the Lord, we are going to be transformed. We're going to change. And I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe there are things that are out of control in your life. Uh, this morning, church, by faith, as I, as I was praying and I was preparing, I really believe that there are things that are out of control that the Lord just wants to bring back into His control. That there are things in your life that God actually wants you to surrender before Him so that He can gain control of those things. There's, there's words that have been spoken that are out of control, that have wrecked our lives, that God wants to redeem, He wants to restore. We have a God of restoration. He's not just going to leave things if we cry out to Him. He's not just going to leave them broken, but God wants to bring restoration by transforming our hearts and lives. And this morning, I know that there are people who are listening this morning that you're like, hey, I'm tired of the things that are out of control in my life and I want to bring them under the control of the living God. I ask this morning that this morning we would surrender all those things to him. Maybe it's sin that is running you over. This morning I ask that you surrender those things. Maybe you've never ever tasted and seen. Maybe you've never ever even come to Jesus. This morning I ask that you would come to Jesus. Jesus and partake of this fruit that he has for you. And then for the rest of the room, maybe that's not you, but if you're in this room and you call yourself a believer, church, let us start functioning and walking in the spirit so that these things will be evident to those who are far from God. Church, let our gentleness be seen. Let our kindness be seen. Let our love be seen. Let our patience be seen so that those who are far from God can see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Church, I said this in the first service and I'll say it again this service. Church, the world is waiting to see believers who have been overtaken by the Word of God from head to toe. No compromise led by Jesus and Jesus alone. Those who are saying, I've surrendered everything to you. And church, we're walking in the things that God has called us to walk in so that we may win some for the kingdom of God. Church, here in Clinton, for it to be transformed in your families, for your families to be transformed. This morning, church, let us take seriously the things of God so that God can move in His power and His power alone in our lives so that some some will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't know, church, this morning, but all I know is that we are on one mission, the same mission that Jesus said that we should be on, to seek and save the lost church. That's our mission as a church. That's our mission as believers. And so this morning, church, I just want to exhort you and encourage you. Say, let us start walking in these things by faith, so that we may see everything that God has, not only for us, but for those we love and for the community that he's placed us in. Can we stand this morning as we pray and as the band comes up? Church, I, I'm so convinced that there's so many of us in this room this morning who are like, hey, listen, Rob, like, 
you know, and, and this, is, this, is, this is not an altar call. You know, in Zimbabwe, we say, you just have these altar calls like, hey, listen, you can't stay in your seat. You need to come to the front or else Jesus is not going to do anything. But there is an action and a step to our, and a steps of faith, like just declaring in front of people to say, hey, listen, uh, yeah. yeah. Like you, you're talking about me. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm that person, Rob, who's, that's, that's my life. It's been overrun by sin. I, I need Jesus. And you, there's no shame, church. Sometimes I think about what church is and I think about when we sing songs. Like, that's why I'm so free. I'm free in church because you walk through these doors and it says church outside. I'm pretty sure you know where you are. I'm not ashamed to be in the house of the Lord. I'm not ashamed to say, Lord, I need Jesus. Even if I'm standing behind the table and preaching the message, church, everyone needs Jesus. We all need him. Church, there's no one who's arrived. We all need to say yes. We all need to step up. We all need to say, Jesus, I need to take another step in my faith. It's not just something that happens at a youth camp church. We will never, ever stop taking these steps. This morning, let's take a step of faith as a church. Let's declare in our hearts. Let's just declare that the, the, the old man is dead. Rob Chibukoyo is dead. It's now Christ who lives in me. Jesus, have your way. Let pride die. Let us take up our cross and walk in the things that God has called us to. Let's take a step of faith this morning, church. Now, I'm encouraged, church, as I pray. I, I don't know if it's you. God sees you. But I'm going to pray as we stand that we take this step of faith together as a church so that we may see God do something that we've never seen before, not only in this church, but in this community. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning. I thank you, Lord, for everyone in this room, everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, everyone who stood up to their feet, Lord, everyone has another step of faith to take, Lord, this morning. Father, for some of us, it's going deeper in a relationship with you. For some of us, Lord, it's walking away from sin that has entangled us for years and years and years. For some of us, Lord, it's a step to cry out, Lord, to ask you to produce this fruit that we never had the faith for before this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would produce it in our hearts. I pray, Lord, for those who are far from you, I pray, Lord, for those who have never received you as Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray that this morning they would cry out to you and say, Jesus, yes, I want to walk with you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Maybe for those, Father, whose faith has kind of gone stale and the light's gone dim. Father, I pray for revival in their hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken them this morning, Lord back to their first love, back to the things that you called them to in the beginning. Wake those things up, Lord. Father, we thank you. And if you call us to do something, Lord, if you did something, Lord, we want to do it too. If you had a heart of gentleness, Lord, we want to have that same heart. If you spoke words that give life, we want to speak words that give life. Holy Spirit, may you have your way this morning. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
There at the start before the beginning of time With no point of reference You spoke to the dark and flashed out the wonder of love As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. The planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. Can see. Shine. 
salvation. You chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. As you speak, Jesus, and as you speak, the hearts rebellion failures disappear. We lost your life so I could find it. Let's give God a hand of praise this morning, church. Amen. You know, those words that we just sang are not empty words. As if God has been working in your hearts, and we've been saying, so will I, Lord. So will I. If you're pursuing the lost, so will I. If you're loving those who are the least, so will I. If that is the heart of God, whatever we read, This morning we're declaring, we're saying, Lord, so will I. Maybe the Lord has been doing something in your heart during the service. Whatever it is that you're going through, you don't have to go through it alone. I know that there are people who would love to pray with you. It's my left, your right. If you just come up to the front, there are people who would love to pray with you. And for, for the rest of us, church, let us go out and be the church. Let us go out and be the people that God has called us to be so that we may win some for the kingdom of God. Amen. It has been a blessing being with you this summer. I've enjoyed it. Have have an amazing, amazing, amazing week.